Well, we're back into 1 Samuel. And uh, <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we uh, are introduced to a man called David. We don't hear who he is until halfway through the chapter. Um, but we'll listen, hear a lot about David in the coming chapters. And you'd think that uh, since Saul, King Saul, was rejected as king over Israel, that he would quickly fade out of the picture. Not the case. Not the case. You know, when people have a lot of power, uh, sometimes they don't want to let go of it. And that's the case for Saul. And so whilst uh, it is the beginning of the end for Saul, but just the beginning, uh, it is also the beginning of a long and uncertain road <coughs> to the throne for a young shepherd called David. But it's going to have a lot of twists and turns in the coming chapters. <coughs> and this chapter tells two stories that set David up on a pathway to become the next king of Israel. And it's a, it's a wonderful encouragement in those times when we feel that there's no way forward. God can open up a way. He has in my life many, many times and he can do it in yours. Someone has jokingly said, if at first you don't exceed, succeed, give up. You don't want everyone to think you're a fool. <laughs> That's meant to be a joke, dear brethren. Um, well, God does not care if people think he is a fool. He will not and has not given up on fulfilling his plans. God loves to use impossible situations, thank you, and unlikely circumstances to make known his name and his glory. There's no tea in it. <coughs> the rest of uh, Saul's reign as king, <coughs> told in the rest of 1 Samuel, is like a train wreck in slow motion. <coughs> Slowly uh, rejected by God, Saul is slowly given up to his royal ego and to murderous rage. It's interesting, we think about kings as being, you know, old hat stuff, that's not where we live. Oh, suddenly it is, isn't it? We're hearing about it every day. So we hear about King Saul and the path down, and it's a deep... Uh, journey down. He's tormented by an evil spirit. He's driven by jealousy. We'll see that in the next few weeks. We'll see uh, how far he will go to try to stay hold of power. And uh, we could say nothing's new under the sun, the present day. We'll also see the darkness of a tyrant's heart and mind, that that darkness cannot derail the purpose of God. And so it's good to know when the world is crashing down around us, God is quietly putting in place a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Sometimes we get stunned by the evil of this world. Our grief can paralyse us into inaction. We're like bunny rabbits 
stunned by the headlights of an oncoming car. It, it might be the evil of others. It might be the evil out there in this crazy world. It might be our own personal evil. Well, God is not frozen by the shock of human evil. He knows what human beings are capable of. But he also knows what he is capable of doing to undo the terrible grief of human evil. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now, if I really believed that, many of my days, personally, would look and feel a lot different than they do. But I forget or I stop believing that God is able to do immeasurably more. It's good to know that God's not dependent on our feeble, smoky faith. It's, it's also good for our feeble faith to be strengthened to believe his word instead of giving way to the pessimism and despair of this world. Samuel was struggling not to drop his bundle. It's easy to be tempted to give up in a crisis rather than to look to see what the Father is going to do next, even where we're in pain. God is never caught off guard. God never spits the dummy and says, I've had enough, see you later. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. His mercy is new every morning. He's able to provide a new beginning when all is coming undone. And he's ready to call us to the new thing that he will do, even in the midst of our pain and struggles. Now, God could have simply said, after Saul's failure, told you so. He could have easily rejected Israel as his people after rejecting Saul, but he did not. God regretted he had made Saul king over Israel, but he, he's... But God is not like us, paralysed by our grief into inaction. It was Samuel, not God, who could not get over his grieving. Saul makes, God makes it clear that he'd already provided a new king from the sons of Jesse, uh, a Bethlehemite. It would take a long time before God's new choice is finally enthroned and Samuel will need to trust God during that time, even when the wheels appear to be falling off. But God has provided. And when we go through these future chapters, we'll see that through all that David suffers at the hands of Saul, he's going to be shaped in his heart and in his character to be like that ultimate king whom God would provide Christ the one who came not to be served, but to serve. So let's return to the story. It's not wrong for Samuel to grieve over Saul. Uh, the question the Lord asked Samuel was, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him? Um, it's, it's, it's for, Saul, for Samuel, he had great hopes for Saul and for Israel, but it's now come to a, a sorry and sad end and he's struggling to get over the grief of it. God understands our times of grief and tears. 
and he knows there comes a time when we need to be up and about it again. And so he says to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided myself a king among his sons. So it's time for Samuel to get back into the saddle. To stop focusing on what has been lost. To look forward to what God is now going to do. And not to worry about how God will do it, just believe that he will do it. You have a job to do, get your anointing oil ready and go to Bethlehem. Now if grief over past losses can stop us moving forward, often fear will try to unsettle and unseat us. And so verse 2, he says, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And he's right. Samuel's no fool. Saul will tolerate no rival. And if Saul, Saul will be watching Samuel's every move now. He'll have his men out watching. Uh, if he gets just a little sniff of this man, of God acting in a way to undermine his royal power, then things could get very dangerous for Samuel. And so he's naturally fearful. Samuel is no shrinking violet. He's demonstrated great courage in all his ministry. So it may be not so much his, his fear of being killed, but of being killed before he can succeed in anointing the new king. In other words, Lord, you want me to go to Bethlehem, but as soon as Saul hears, he will kill me before I get the job done. How can I go? So whether it's fear or simply that we feel God's will seems impossible, we need to listen to him and not lean on our own understanding. <clears throat> so God shows him a way. He says, look, take a heifer, and uh, it'll be obvious people will see you taking an animal for sacrifice as you go to Bethlehem. And he actually does go. He, it's not a lie. He does go and sacrifice the heifer. And he calls the elders and the family of Jesse to come to the sacrifice. It would have been a fellowship sacrifice probably. Um, but he tells them that uh, you go and I'll show you what you should do when you get there. He doesn't tell him all that's going to happen. God doesn't tell us all that's ahead of us, does he? Faith is not getting all our ducks in a row and then saying, okay, that sounds reasonable, I'll go. I read a cartoon with a picture of a mother duck talking with another duck. May have been a relative, not sure. <laughs> Whoever said get all your ducks in a row has never had ducks. <laughs> you see, we, this impossible idea of getting all your ducks in a row, it's unrealistic. Before you move forward in faith, it's just simply an obstacle to simple obedience. I'm not talking about not planning, not giving some thought. It's when we use all that planning and thinking and organising and, oh, yes, we better do that. Oh, no, I'm not sure if I could... As an excuse for going forward. Samuel needed to trust and not doubt that God would turn up when he was needed and would give him the wisdom required.
Now, Bethlehem was not far from Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, as he came, the elders of Bethlehem came out trembling. Why were they trembling? I suspect they said, do you come peaceably? I suspect they'd heard about how Samuel had dealt with the king Agag. And uh, they wondered whether Samuel had something at Bethlehem that he was going to deal with. So they were trembling. But Samuel said, I come peaceably. Uh, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself. Come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so they came and he saw the eldest son, Eliab. And he thought, this fella, he's impressive. This is this will have to be the one that God wants to have anointed as the new king. He was tall. He was obviously uh, good looking. And uh, like they saw Saul, remember the people all thought Saul would be a great king just from how he looked. And so Samuel is falling into the same trap, considering the oldest brother. And the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So that's interesting, isn't it? We can't see what God sees. Now, I could say, should you judge people by outward appearance or look on the heart? We'd probably all say, oh, we'd look on the heart. Well, tell me, how can you see their heart? Now, sometimes we get a feeling of the heart of a person, don't we? But we need to be careful because it's actually only God who really sees the heart. He searches the heart. He knows every person's heart, their motives, who they really are. I can tell you many stories when I was working at the mission, how I could, uh, I could misjudge someone. And sometimes that misjudgment caused me a lot of pain. And one situation, the Lord quite miraculously revealed the truth about someone who could have caused me a lot of pain and potential danger. It was Again and again, I'll talk about this in a moment, again and again when I was working at West Care Mission, uh, God showed his wisdom and power and protection. I came to know God, what he can do, how he can work in my life um, in a way that I'd not known before. It was interesting days. But I was dependent on God. And when, when we're impetuously uh, acting without seeking God's wisdom and guidance, we can find ourselves very easily deceived. Appearances can be deceiving. Truth is, they nearly always are. So God says, no, don't judge by appearance. Don't be impressed by this older brother. And so all the other brothers pass before Samuel, but each time the Lord makes it clear, it's not the one. He's not the one. He's not the one. And, and there's no more sons left. But Samuel knows that God has chosen one, and yet he's rejected them all. So he says, are all your sons here? And the answer is, oh, actually, there is another one. He's the youngest. He's out looking after the sheep. 
they, they weren't bothered. Jesse, the father, was not bothered with calling David. It may have been simply because he was the youngest that he was left out. So right from the outset, the first moment we hear of this young shepherd, we hear of someone who's left out, someone who's being considered of no importance. We also know of the son of David, the greatest, the one who was coming, who would be considered unworthy and an unlikely candidate to be the true king of Israel particularly by those in power. But what does uh, 1 Peter say, Jesus too? He was rejected by man, but chosen and precious by God. So Jesse's younger son looking after the sheep, great training ground for someone who would later shepherd the nation. So that time out there looking after the sheep all those years, were not wasted at all. It was all equipping time. Psalm 78, verse 70. God chose David, his servant. He took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. <coughs> Pardon me. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel's inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with skillful hand. Where did he get that skillful hand from? From all his days looking after sheep. So there were many lessons he learned that came in handy later when he would be the shepherd of Israel, the king. So I told you about West Care Mission. I spent 10 years looking after some pretty woolly sheep at West Care Mission. And I often felt I'd lost my way in terms of my calling. And my wife would say to me, but this was real ministry amongst the homeless and alcoholics, drug addicts, those who are mentally disturbed, struggling, people who are poor. And yet sometimes I looked on them as thinking they're unworthy of my time and energy. Gee, I had a lot to learn. It taught me a lot about putting the needs of others before my own. But I also learned during that time that God was looking after me again and again. And one of the things David learnt as he was caring for sheep was that the Lord is my shepherd. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to know that when you've got responsibility for the care of others, that someone's watching over you and protecting you and, and feeding you. Otherwise, life could become incredibly burdensome and unbearable, the stress. We're made to be dependent on God. He is our shepherd. But I remember feeling often uh, discouraged and complaining because of the circumstances I was in. And I had to learn to be content in that situation so that I could be in the place where God could, if he so wanted to lead me on to uh, maybe bigger doors. Uh, sometimes we can bemoan our current situation and think we, we just want to get out of it. And uh, I remember when I left the mission, I turned on the radio and I, there was this song 
there are many more rivers to cross. <laughs> and I, I, it was just a secular song, but it was as though God was just telling me straight out, you think you've crossed some deep rivers and nearly drowned. You've got no idea what's coming. And looking back over the whatever period it was since Westcare days, well, it's true. There was more pain and much deeper pain than I could have ever imagined ahead. Now, that doesn't mean that the future's going to hold terrible things for you. No, no. In that pain, there was also the presence of God in ways that I'd not known before too and lessons of grace and mercy that I'd not known before. So, no, God's his purpose is that we might be fruitful and he prunes so that we might bear more fruit. So we just, but don't complain in your current situation. <laughs> you know, things could get worse. And verily they did. <laughs> no, we take one day at a time. Use every day in the sheep pens to show yourself faithful in the little things. It was in those sheep pens where David learned to trust God and to love God with his whole being and, uh, and become a man. Uh, he had a heart, a man whose heart is after God. How does it put? A man after God's own heart. Psalm 18.35 David said, you stoop down to make me great. You see, God has done that for all of us. God stooped down into the sheepfold. He lifted us in Christ from sin and death to the heights of his glory. God stooped down to make us great. So he comes, the youngest son is brought, he's ruddy, he's got a glowing complexion, a bit like me after a week in the sun fishing, uh, bright eyes, Good looking. So that makes it clear that when it says God doesn't look on the heart, it doesn't mean that being outwardly impressive disqualifies you from being used by God. It simply means that external appearance neither qualifies nor disqualifies. It simply, simply doesn't come into the question. David was handsome, but not like Saul, nothing like Saul. You know, he impressed all the people. David would have been good looking, but other young men were good looking. He wouldn't have stood out in the crowd like Saul or even like his oldest brother, uh, what stood out before God was that he was a man after God's own heart and that was the work of God's grace in his life. And so the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And that anointing with oil, we had the oil here this morning. Uh, he didn't light it. He just anointed him. That was incredibly powerful action and uh, symbolic of the equipping of David by God for the huge job ahead. You see, without the spirit of which the oil symbolised, but it wasn't just an empty symbol. What happened? The spirit came upon him, the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, David could not have done anything that God had called him to do. He needed to be equipped and we're told, and I found this wonderful piece, and I must read it because he says it better than I could. Yahweh equips David. This is a commentary by 
Dale Ralph Davis. Yahweh equips David, but for conflict. One that will frequently make spine-tingling brawls with lions and bears seem dull. You know, easier fighting some drunk, the mission, than uh, handling some difficulties in churches. No sooner does the spirit touch David than he's catapulted into endless trouble. The envy, anger, plots of Saul from chapter 18 on. David, the man with the spirit, will be hunted, betrayed, trapped and escaping, hiding in caves, living in exile, driven to the edge, right to the end of 1 Samuel. You see, the spirit comes, the trouble begins. (laughs) That's why you don't pray for revival. Well, we'd better pray for revival. And that's true for not just David, but the son of David. When the Spirit came upon him, he was driven into the wilderness. Temptation, the enemy, wild beasts. And it's the same for us. No sooner are we brought into subjection to Jesus than we're swamped in trouble. There may seem no end to the pressures, no relief from the pounding we seem to be taking. But if we remember David and his descendant, we begin to understand that this conflict is not a sign of our sin, but a mark of our sonship. I love that. That we are not under God's displeasure, but his discipline. The wilderness is not the sign of the Spirit's absence, but the scene of his presence. Isn't that wonderful? So we're told that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward, and that implies the Spirit came and stayed, which is unusual in the Old Testament place because normally the Spirit would come upon, come upon Saul for a time, then depart, come upon them, then apart. No, this is a permanent residence of the Spirit in David's life. And we're told that when the Spirit came upon David, the Spirit departed from Saul. And instead a harmful spirit. Now that's a sign that God is making it clear. David has been anointed as the new king. Saul, you're rejected now. And instead a harmful spirit from the Lord came to Saul and troubled him. Now we might wonder how can God send an evil spirit from time to time to torment Saul? Um, why would he do it as a judgment? Yes. But also create the opportunity for David to be brought in as a music therapist. That's how the story goes. But how could God send it? In God there's no darkness, he is light. But he can allow an evil spirit. Messenger of Satan came to Paul in the New Testament for different reasons. All for God's purposes. Saul had to know that his rejection of the Spirit's nudging in his life for so long didn't mean that he could just be free of the Holy Spirit. It meant that he would come under another spirit that would cause him a lot of grief. But it also opens this wonderful door for David 
to begin serving in the royal household. What an amazing twist in circumstance. One moment shepherding the sheep in the paddock, the next playing the lyre. Now, it wasn't a, a big harp. It would have been like a, a guitar, smaller lyre, uh, to soothe the king's tormented mind. Now, how does this work out? Let's just pick it up. We heard the story. Uh, the servants saw what the suffering that Saul was in. They knew of someone who could play a lyre, and they thought that might help. And it did. And uh, they went out and found this son of Jesse, skillful in playing, a man of valour, and we'll find out later, he fought wild animals. Uh, a man of war, that's a surprise. Maybe this David is not the young boy that Sunday school pictures have him depicted as. I'd say he's a young man, at least 18, and he's already gone out because around Bethlehem was a garrison of the Philistines. He would have gone out with others to fight the Philistines and he's already shown himself to be a, a, a good soldier, a man of war, prudent in speech and a man of good presence and the Lord is with him. So that's evident. So they, Saul said, yes, yeah, send for him and uh, he was with the sheep, he came and he entered his service and Saul loved him greatly. It all seems good, doesn't it? And he played and it soothed Saul during those times of being tormented. And Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed from him. So, so really, while David was there, right there in the royal household, Saul felt much better. In many ways, David was a gift to Saul. Can you see that? And it also was a strong encouragement for Saul to keep David there. But we'll see that other things happen in the coming chapters where Saul just wants to get rid of him completely. But at this point, he loved having him there and he loved him. Now, you'd think, uh, you'd think David would be thinking, all oh, my ducks are in a row now, wouldn't you? He's there in the royal house. He's got an inkling from the anointing that God has got an incredible destiny for him in Israel. But there's another saying, isn't there? Don't count your chickens before they hatch because uh, it's not going to be a straight line to the throne. There'll be times where David will lose all hope of ever fulfilling his royal destiny. And I suspect we too, like, what's his name? Scully? I think we too lose hope, don't we? And we doubt the amazing royal calling that we have been given in Christ. There'd be times when David uh, returned to the sheep, to shepherding, and you'll discover that later in another chapter that he goes back to the father. So it looks like he's coming and going from the farm to uh, the royal house. Um, and in that whole process, we discover that, that Saul says, well, you, I want you as my armour bearer too. And so he becomes Saul's armour bearer, which also suggests that Saul had, uh, sorry, David had some strength 
he wasn't just a little boy. Uh, and so we'll think about that uh, in the coming weeks. But the main point of all this is that God, God loves to turn impossible circumstances around for his glory and for our good. And we can trust him no matter what. Let's pray. Our dear Father, what a wonderful testimony that David could have to know that you, his great shepherd, um, led him in new paths that he could not have dreamt of. And through all the struggles and trials that lie ahead for David, he proved your grace and faithfulness. Tempted to give up, for sure, but sustained and kept by God. And we pray, Father, in the coming weeks that we might hear this word to us, your people, your royal people, destined in Christ to the throne, and we might know what is to reign in life through Jesus Christ in this world full of such trouble. And may your spirit, may we know your spirit is upon us and filling us and here to stay, a guarantee of all that is to come. So we bless you, Father, for your word and for the encouragement, the strengthening it brings us by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.